I got on my bike and it just felt like my arms were heavy, my legs were heavy. I'm realizing how out of shape I am, so I'm trying to get my body back in touch with its athletic side. My body's starting to stabilize around that 162, 165 range. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome man. Yo, yo, ah, damn. Tune in to Al Joe the Funk Master. Watch your grill, you'll get knocked out cold faster. Talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the man are off the back. You in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches. They find home on your mind about a double. It's the weekly scraps. You don't need a map. GPS, I'm right here to lead a death. The world doesn't know it needs, but I grow disease. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, how Jermaine Sterling oh, It ain't shit, it ain't shit Motherfucker What's up guys, welcome back to the weekly Scraps episode 173 I've had a crazy, crazy last few weeks um, You know what's crazy? The fight, my last fight, is almost two months removed And it feels like I fought yesterday I'm on this victory tour still. I'm still getting crazy, pounding some drinks, and I'm realizing, like, dude, it's almost time to get back on the horse. You got to get your ass back on track. So I'm back in the gym this past week. I'm training. I did two sessions on Friday. We did, like, a day-in-the-life vlog. Um, and one of the things I realized was I'm severely out of shape. And when I say severely, I mean, like, really, 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 really. I did two sessions on Friday. We documented the whole day. Um, go check out that vlog. It's on the YouTube channel as well. And then I did jiu-jitsu in the morning at 10 o'clock. I did five rounds, and I was exhausted. Spent legs, everything. I had to take off um, between rounds four into five, my fourth round. I did those four, first four straight, consecutive. And then um, round five, I sat that one. And then round six, which was my fifth round, I did that round, and I was exhausted, man. And then... I did wrestling at night. If I didn't take that nap, I would have been shot. But I was able to take a nap, about an hour, recover a little bit, put some electrolytes back in the body, and then I got after it at night. Did some wrestling session with Dennis, Justin the Kid Montavo, undefeated, undefeated, undefeated uh, fighter right now, out of our gym. I believe he is. Wait, is he four and zero or five and zero right now? Five and zero, four KOs. Got to wrestle with him. Anthony Delemi, 1-0. You guys can go check out his pro debut knockout win. And um, there was one more other guy that I'm missing. Dennis. Oh, James Gonzalez and Nassim. Uh, Nassim's also on uh, the Contender Series, as well as Dennis on the Contender Series. And then we got Charlie Campbell also on the Contender Series, back to back to back, all three weeks in a row. So I got to do that. And then Saturday morning, I was really sore, but then I, I kind of chilled out. For the majority of the day, but then I did do a sparring session, 15 minutes with James Gonzalez. Haven't sparred or really worked out with him in so long, so it was good to get back on the mats with him, get in the cage with him. And I told him, I was like, I got five minutes of fury. And I was like, okay, maybe I could push it and do 10 minutes of fury for you. It's like, okay, okay, I got two rounds for you. I was like, I mean, if you can't get nobody to do the third round, I'll do, I'll try to get through the third round. And then we sparred, and I'm telling you, man, it was like, it's like, it's like watching the clock. Take slowly, like imagine being in a sauna is like 250 degrees. You're waiting to get out, but you got to do a five minute round of that. And it's so hot. You can't breathe. Your chest is pounding. It felt like that. So anytime I took him down, he got back up and he started attacking me. I got on my bike and it just felt like my arms were heavy. My legs were heavy, almost like I'm stoking the mood. And 
I, it was just not a fun experience. Um, and then we had like a little powwow session afterwards, getting to break down the sparring session, some things that I saw what he can capitalize on. Because obviously I'm not in shape. So this is the best time for, I would say, anybody in the gym to kind of just have their way and beat me up. Uh, so there was a couple of things I thought I think he could have done better. He's actually fighting a wrestler too. So I'm looking forward to that one. I think that was June 24th. I think June 24th for Bellator. So looking forward to that one for him. I think it's going to be a good way for him to get back in the win column. And um, I'm very, very excited for James Gonzalez. So that was my weekend. So, yeah, I'm realizing how out of shape I am. So I'm trying to get my body back in touch with its athletic side. It's like, Chunkmaster, meet Funkmaster. It's time for you guys to do the, um, what do you call the Dragon Ball Z <laughs> fusion technique and connect and become one again. You know, so... I, I want to show that. I'm, we're doing like a four-week transformation. I'm going to do that as well. We're already down one week. I'm shredding up a little bit. This morning, I was a little bit more bloated because we went to a Sweet 16. I had chocolate cake late at night. Um, so I was 166 again this morning. Last night, I yesterday morning, I weighed in at 162.7. This morning, is 166, 166, but very bloated. So once we start the week, obviously I'm not going to be working out today. So I'm going to be a little bit heavier, which is fine. But I don't eat as much when I'm, it's an off day. So tomorrow and the rest of the week, it's going to be easier for me to kind of shed that weight because I'm already at a good stopping point because I'm super lean already. So for me to go up a couple of pounds, it's not the end of the world. But when I do fluctuate that much, it's pretty easy for it to drop off, especially because I did the two days back to back and my weight kind of stabilized at a little bit lower than what it was when I was 168, like waking up in the morning consecutive days. So now my body's starting to stabilize around that 162, 165 range. So I would imagine tomorrow I'll probably wake up 165 after a training session, probably Tuesday morning waking up around 162 again. Um, cause I think tomorrow I'm probably going to do two workouts. Not sure yet. Not hundred percent decided, but that's the game plan right now. Um, did we talk about the Rogan? I don't even know if we even talked about Rogan. Yeah. But, oh yeah. So, so last week we went to, went to Austin, Austin, Texas, went to the JRE. Um, that's out right now. I'm not sure if Rogan actually did any other podcasts yet after that, which is pretty cool. Cause then it gives me more time for people to listen before they see the other stuff. Um, which is cool. Oh yeah, I'm the last one still right now. Your episode's number two on the solo podcast chart. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. So that's some good clout. Do everything for clout. They do everything for clout. Joe's the man though. So bringing us out there, I went to the one episode 171. This one I think is 125. Um, for the, for the fighters like athletes and stuff. So back then they were in California. Now being out here, and that was a monster facility. Now being out here in Texas, it's like they got, everything's a little bit more, from what I remember, more dialed in, more organized, the mat space, the bags, sauna, a float tank, um, an ice plunge, cold plunge tub, gymnastic tumbling mat, which was probably, it felt like 50 yards. It was a huge, long um, tumbling mat. Like gymnastics or that type of thing. And then the other side was the mats and the bags. Um, then they had a kitchen. They had a, a hot yoga room that they're building out right now, too. And then obviously the studio. Then they have the Onnit vending machine in there. So it's a, it's a pretty badass facility. Like literally anything that you can think of for health and wellness is right there. Beautiful. Um, 
and more credit to Joe because for him to start that doing the podcast just for fun with a couple of his buddies and just kind of like just shits and giggles and then for what it has turned into it's nothing short of impressive and I think if people get the opportunity to see what he's been able to achieve and build out for himself like he doesn't even it's not even public space for people it's for his friends only so just think about that normally you make a gym or something you rent it out to try to make back the money so you'll at least break even this is just for him and his friends wellness and again i think that's a very inspirational thing because it shows what can actually be attainable through hard work and um almost not even giving a fuck you know because for him he just didn't give a fuck what nobody thought he was just doing what he was doing one of the advice pieces of advice he gave to me when I was I was asking him about like the the media space on his podcast, I go like, I'm trying to figure out like what people want to hear from me, and then he was like, let me stop you right there. He was like, don't give a shit about any of that. Just go on, do what you do, talk about the fights, whatever you talk about, and have fun with it. And that's that's really it. So even for now, like we're going on three years. It might even be going on three and a half, maybe close to four, but. At least three years for sure with this podcast, and I've haven't been doing it for the view count. I've just been doing it because I enjoy breaking down the fights, I enjoy spread, um, sharing my my daily day to day with people, and uh, I'm super excited about that. So that stuff is fun for me. It's documented, so in case I do want to go back and like listen to anything and kind of see what my my work week was like or that type of stuff, I can always go back. And this is going to be information that's going to be out there for years, kind of thing. So I'm very, very happy with, with everything so far. And uh, obviously, if the podcast starts to make money, that's going to be a huge, huge win. Who wouldn't want to make money for something that they enjoy doing, right? You know, so that's the approach that we're taking right now. Um, we got some vlogs that we're doing as well. There's a bunch of different vlogs that we're doing. We did a fitness one, a day in the life of, and I went through the whole day of like how much water intake I, I literally have. Like anything I ingested from fluids to a crumb. Everything was documented for that day, and that's out. That was the latest vlog. You guys can go check that out now. It's live. Uh, drop a comment if anything you want to see in particular, because we're gonna. I'm gonna try to do like maybe a work week, which would be like a Monday through Saturday. Because if I did a whole week, that would be really, really tough to be like dedicated to being in front of a camera, 24/7, and making sure we get everything dialed in. Because it's not just about recording; it's about the prep for the shots and making sure that you get everything. So after a workout, before I can put something back in my body, I have to show what I'm going to have, explain what I'm going to have while I'm hungry, and then I get to have it, <laughs> you know? So it's it's work, you know, it's not easy, but I do enjoy doing some of that stuff to share with the fans. And I know a lot of people are very interested in the weight cutting dynamic of the sport. Fit, fitness is a huge market. People love fitness. Um, but one thing I will 100% be full disclosure about for you guys um because i want you guys to do gooder in your life and that is <laughs> i think that i'm gonna have to take that word and just coin it and just forever run with it put it i'm gonna i might put that on a t-shirt gooder algemastone.com gooder and uh there's no shortcuts at the end of the day if you want results you have to put the time in when you guys wanted to go through school, you want to study for an exam, you put the time in to pass the exam, you want 100 on your exam, you put the time in to get that 100 to reflect that. And your grade reflects the time that you put in to learn and study to get to where you want to be. You want to be that 4.0 uh, uh, GPA student, you got to put the time in. Your, your score is going to reflect that. So you want to get fit, the time you put in the gym and the time you put into your diet 
is going to reflect that. You want to get a little bit more tone. So it just really just depends on what you're trying to do. So there's no quick fix. I know I see people doing these teas and things like that. And I'm not saying those things don't work, but I think they are supposed to be supplemental and not just one-stop shop. I use this and then that's going to be the quick fix remedy for everything. It does not work like that. I can tell you that from experience. You find me somebody who could just sip herbal tea, lose weight with their daily activities without adding in anything else in terms of a shift in a diet, in terms of shifting a workout, how much more they're working out. If they don't do any of those things, they're just waking up, drinking tea, going to work, sitting on ass, going to sleep, um, staying up late at night, that all those type of things. You show me that and I would be blown away because I don't think there's anything like that out there. There's no shortcut to hard work. You got to put the time in and like anything in life, nothing worth having in life comes easy. So if you really want to make that difference, you really want to see that change, you got to put the time in and be honest with yourself and hold yourself accountable. I do think one easy way, because people are asking me, like, how can I start? I'll let you guys know the secret. Piece of paper, write down your schedule for the entire week and see what you normally eat and document every single crumb. Every single ounce, milliliter of liquid, anything you ingest, write it down just throughout the day. So just start with Monday and just write every single thing down. You know, If you're unsure about how much of it it is, put it like a guesstimate. Then do that for Tuesday, do that for Wednesday, all the way through the week. And then also for that same day, add in your activity. How much activity are you doing? Just work. Just If you're just working, just put just work. Regular day-to-day job, just working. If you didn't work out at all, if you got some some walking in, some miles in that way, add that in. And then after you do that, look at that and then see what you can change. See where you can add in more water intake. Where can you cut out the soda? Where can you cut out the juice? Okay, where can I add in a couple more pieces of fruit as opposed to having maybe like um, rice or pasta? Like I think you make those little micro changes and you're going to see big results really, really fast. Well, let me not say really, really fast because really, really fast is different for everybody. Like if you're 300 pounds and you shed down to like 295, you may not see it, but your body from the inside is working and it feels, it's going to be feeling better. So now as you get to get to slim down even more over the course of time, it gets even better. Now you can start to see those, those results. Like for me, when I go from 160, 170 to 165, I can feel the difference from the inside out and I can see the difference. There's little subtle changes, but I can see it and I can feel it. Where if you're heavier, it might be tougher to see that because you're obviously a lot heavier. But as you get down, it starts to compound. So to, to use my body in the comparison of a bigger frame, it's, it's not the same scale. So you have to scale it up. Like, okay, if he can see changes, it's probably going to be a lot more for me to see changes. So my five pounds might be your 10 or 15 pounds. And that's the difference in terms of body frame. So I think when you start to look at it like that so that you're not getting discouraged or thinking, oh my God, I just did all this and nothing happened. It's little wins. Little wins here, little wins here, little wins here. And that's what's going to get you to the big goal. And when you look behind, you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe I just did all that. And then once you start to do that, it, I'm telling you, it becomes so much easier because it becomes a lifestyle. Fitness is a lifestyle, and that's the best way I could put it for anybody. Um, I don't think there's going to be ever a time where I'm just completely out of shape and like just fat or obese, whatever it is, because I will forever live this life even when I'm done competing because I think it's just a huge part of longevity, health, and wellness. 
Um, I want to be able to have kids. I want to be able to hang out with my grandkids. I, I don't want to get older and be, I mean, probably from fighting, I'm probably going to be all, a little bit broken up, but I want to be able to be around for a very long time. And it starts with taking care of the heart, which is on this side of my chest, not this side. <laughs> so it, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. So I, I don't want to bore you guys with that, but if you do have any other questions, please drop them below in the comments. And uh, when this podcast comes out, I would definitely be sure to jump in there and engage with you guys. Um, other than that, Let's get into it. We got the fights. UFC Vegas 56. Where are we at? Okay. Now, one of the things I want to let you guys know, first and foremost, is that this is brought to you by DraftKings. So, our first fight that we're going to recap is the Volkov fight versus Rosenstruck. As long as this fight lasted, it was fun. Rosenstruck had his moments, tried to go for the kill. Got caught with the right hand and then got caught with a nasty uppercut against the cage. It felt like the way from what I was watching, like he went limp twice. And when you do that, even if you're standing up, if you go limp, it looks like the fight's over. Because it looks like there's a big disconnect between the brain and the body. And you just buckled and you're not there to respond. So it looks like you're about to be even in more trouble. Rosenstruck, Biggie Boy recovered really quickly. But when you go back and you watch the stoppage, I do not think it was a bad stoppage. I think it was only going to get worse uh, because Volkov, that split second where he got to recover when the ref stopped the fight, if the ref doesn't do that, Volkov stays on him, lands a couple more shots, and that's probably even a worse finish than what it actually was. Good thing for Rosenstruck, he was able to recover quickly. That says something. He was in good shape, I would, I would like to believe, because when you recover quickly from a hard shot, it shows that you're in good shape. Now... We can see that with um, like Frankie Edgar when he got hurt a couple of times with Gray Maynard and he would bounce right back up kind of thing. But um, I just think there's a very fine line between the ref letting you live to fight another day and just letting you get punished to the part to the point where you probably won't be able to fight for another day because the shots and the damage that you're going to take are going to be a lot worse when it's uh, accumulated. So I think the ref made a good, good, made a good, judgmental move. Jumped in when he saw him go limp twice, and gave him an opportunity. And it was just one of those things where he got caught against the cage against a much bigger guy. Volkov is six seven. The guy's an animal, and Rosenstruck is six two. These are big, big boys. But when they stood next to each other, it was just like, damn, this looks like big brother and little brother right now. Um, Volkov is just a big human being, man. So that guy hates you. I can only imagine what that feels like. I don't want to imagine what that feels like. It's okay. I don't need to. I'll stay my ass down at 135. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that was a perfect stoppage. I think it was a fun fight for as long as it lasted. Rosenstruck opening up a lot more than he has in the, I think, in his recent performances. So I was happy to see that. And it was good to see Volkov get back in the win column as well. You know, I think um, he's a very good competitor. He's 33 years old. Uh, his last one was a loss to Aspinall. And he came back. Yeah, so he beat Marcin Tibor, lost to Aspinall, and then came back and beat Rosenstruck. And then Rosenstruck, I think he had lost to Curtis Blades. Yeah, so he's now 0-2 in his last two performances, and before that beating Augusto Sakai round one. So it seems like uh, Rosenstruck is one of those guys, like if he gets you out early, you know, if the fight goes early, it's like usually he wins. And if it doesn't, usually it goes the other way. Um, this next one... Evloev and Danny Gay, fun, fun fight. Now, Evloev, I think he's finally coming to 
I don't want to say coming to his own because he's been a, a beast for a very, very long time. He's 16 and 0. 28 years old. He's 5'7 at the weight for 45, 145, the featherweight division. He's won in the UFC against Dan Ige, Hakeem Dawudu, Nick Lentz, Mike Grundy, Enrique Barzola, and Sung Woo Choi. And before that, he was fighting an M1 challenge. So one, two, three, four, five. Is that seven? Two. Uh, do I not know how to count? Sorry. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Okay. He's six in on the UFC. But they're all decisions. So he's missing that marquee finish that's going to put him over the hump to get him to just explode in terms of pause in terms of being like that superstar at this weight class and i think that's what people are kind of waiting for and i think they probably thought they were going to get that in this weight class but i mean in this fight i should say but that was not the case uh dan Ige is a tough out for anybody and Ige fought his heart out man you know never went backwards went forward the whole entire time did what he can and um i think that first knee that evlov landed in that first round it buckled Ige, and it looked like that's when it started to shift that momentum of that fight. And then Evluev just started to just pick up steam as the fight went on. And I was just hoping Ige could land something good, big to the body and hurt him and possibly get him out of there. But Evluev is a tough dude, man. He's very fast, uh, tricky kicks. He does a really good thing where he slips his head off to the right when he's throwing his combinations and uh, slipping the punches. And he was throwing that front kick up the middle, checking Ige and keeping him honest every time he would level change. That front kick comes right up the middle. That clipped him. It looked like it clipped him on the face a couple of times. But things like that is how you offset the rhythm. And that's why I loved about Evloev's game that in that fight was him showing fight IQ and showing his brilliance in this stand-up department where obviously everyone knows for him to be a, a high-level grappler. He gets you down. Greco-Roman like stud. But being able to offset the the rhythm of uh, a guy like Ige and have him second-guessing when to go in, it's uh, a very tough thing to do. But he was doing it with confidence, throwing the front kick up the middle, sticking the jab, long jab, throwing some one-twos, even some three-twos in there, some good combinations, and then getting out of there, back on his bike, and then looking for that opportunity to shoot in and get a takedown. And Ige, to his credit, getting up multiple times. I don't think there was ever any real danger of him having Evloev on his back. For the most part, he got out of every single position and uh, created a scramble. So he offered some good offense, but Evloev, it was his night, now 16-0, and I'm looking forward to see who he's going to fight next. He called out Brendan Allen. I think that would be a fun fight, but Brendan Allen's probably in the same boat. I think he just got a finish, so I don't think Brendan Allen's looking to go backwards in the rankings. I think he's looking to go forward, but that would be a fun fight. Um... I would lean towards the size of Evloev in that one, but I could be wrong, man. I would say things all the time, and sometimes I'm just completely wrong. I just think the grappling and the striking, I think uh, it might be a little bit problematic for a guy like Allen. But I think Allen's smart enough where he knows how to make those adjustments, and I think that could be the difference in that fight as well. So that's just a high-level fight with two high-level prospects in the featherweight division. And I think the featherweight division is finally starting to get some real momentum. You got Ortega still winning. Um, you got Yair, uh, Fun Fights, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, uh, Max Holloway's always there, Volkanovski on top, you got Evloev now, Ige's still there, you have Bryce Mitchell undefeated in the, U in the UFC, and I think undefeated as well, um, two undefeated fighters, Evloev and Bryce Mitchell, 
And then you have uh, Hakeem Dawadu. There's, there's, there's some really good guys in this weight class. And Brendan Allen, as I mentioned before as well. So I think the featherweight division is finally starting to get some of that steam that it kind of lost a little bit. And who knows what's going to happen with Zabit. I would like to see that guy come back and uh, just wreak havoc on the division. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of the finishes. Lucas Almeida finishes Mike Trezano. I forgot what he caught him with, but it was it was something nasty in the third round. I think the judges, they showed the scorecard. It was 1-1 going into the third, and Almeida catches him with something. Ah, fuck. See, I feel bad like not knowing exactly what it is. I'm sorry. I'm an asshole. My bad. But he caught him with something, something nasty and followed up with the ground strikes and put him out. And from there, I was, I was just like, it's interesting to see how the fight changes dynamic in the sense of like the striking or the grappling and to see that happen, like the momentum shift going from Trezano to Almeida and then Almeida putting the stamp on it and getting a guy like Trezano out of there. And let me see, Trezano, 93 now, 30 years old, 5'11". He now dropped two in a row. His last one was to Hakeem Dawadu, Um and he lost that one by decision. And Lucas Almeida, ba, 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 31, 5'11", also. Now on a two-fight win streak. And before that, he lost in the contender series. You know what's crazy? A lot of these guys lose in the contenders. They'll come back and they'll win one fight. And they'll get another shot. But see, he lost in the contenders fight. He was 12-0. and 0, And he was 12-1 after, obviously, because he lost. And then he wins by Guitin in his very next fight. And then next thing you know, he's fighting Mike Trezano in the UFC. So who's a vet. You know what I mean? So it's just like one of those things like you just never know when that opportunity is going to call. If you get on a contender series, that's usually a shoe in whether you win or lose. Well, I should say if you win, it's usually a really good shoe in. But if you don't get a contract, but if you have a really good fight and you do lose, there's still that opportunity for you to get called up, especially if you win up your next fight after that. Cause I've seen this multiple times now. The, the guy who loses goes and wins one or two fights. Boom, he's in or he gets a call up short notice. So it's just one of those things as a professional, staying ready, staying in the gym because you never know when an opportunity is going to come. And at this level, so many guys pull out that there's great opportunity for you to jump into a fight. And it's just having the right connections with either your management, staying in the air, or you being good on social media, getting in the air kind of thing. Um, maybe sending an email because their emails is ready, available, and accessible. And uh, if you have been on the show, they have your information. So they're watching. The matchmakers are watching. They know what's going on on the regional circuit for the most part. They know who's the exciting guys, who's the prospects. They know who people are talking about, and they're in the know, and that's their job. So it's cool to see a guy like that, like Almeida, lose, go win one fight, by guillotine first round, I think it was, too, and then gets to the call to the UFC. Big opportunity. Uh, Silva, beautiful dart stroke. I actually want to break this down. So I'm going to do like a fight breakdown type of thing. And I want to show you guys that sequence where, uh, Botelio was, Paulina, I'm just going to call Poliana. Poliana. She shoots in, um, what she shoot? Did she get, I think she got dropped. And then she was in a front headlock position. She comes up and she tries to take her back with like a head and arm. But then Silva, she gets out of the guard and then she ends up on top. She circles backwards and pressures the lock, breaks Polina Poliana's arm lock, and then from there, as Poliana sits up to her knees, she tries to put her hand inside to block the grip. Silva wraps around, locks her hands, 
and cinches in a darst choke. And then from there, she sits to her butt. She scoots in, throws the right leg over, and then cinches, cinches it up and gets the finish. And, and it went on rather quick. The, the darst choke is one of the hardest chokes to stop. Once your arm is locked in there, there's almost no way for you to reach up and grab that person's arm that's tucked and hidden all the way on the other side of your back. The best defense for me is always to just go flat, and hopefully they can't throw that leg over your back to put enough pressure to crunch you up into a ball and to cut those carotid arteries to put you to sleep. Um, she tapped quickly, and then when she let her go, it looked like she was out or dazed. Like she was almost like still trying to like, I don't want to say fight, but it looked like she was still trying to grab onto something or catch herself from falling. And that just shows how tight that choke was, you know. The next one, Odie Osborne, this was a short fight. Now, Zarouk, he's a guy from New York. He trained, he hasn't trained with us, at least not that I know of. But New York guy, he's come down to our gym a couple of times before. I just think for him, it's one of those things. When you're a decorated kickboxer, I've seen some of those guys in sparring session. He's 29, 5'5", from Uzbekistan. I just think uh, sometimes the chin, and then I, I don't want to be unfair about that because Ode Osborne does hit hard, and the shots that hurt the most are the ones you do not see. So when he threw the combination, he hit him with a right hand, and I think he threw a left hook. I think Southpaw threw like a right hook or a, a right. I think he might have threw a one, two, and after he threw the two, he pulled his hand back, and then Ode just tried to time something, just threw something. He's got this long-ass arms. My reach is 71 inches. His is 73. So that just goes to show you he's fighting a guy at 125 whose reach, I think, was like 65. So as he throws his punches, it comes back, and there's not much room that Ode needs to cover. It throws a right hook. It comes over the top, catches him on the chin, and looks like he's not even looking for, like, strikes to come over. Like, he's looking, looking at Ode as he throws his combinations to land his strikes, which you should. But he doesn't see the strike coming over the top, and that's what catches him. And from there, he put him out with a couple big more, shot, uh, a couple big more, a couple of big shots, and that was the end of the fight. Now I kind of felt bad because obviously I know Zarouk, a good dude, really nice guy, super kind, um, and obviously Ode, I know him. I've trained with him. He actually trains really hard. Um, like even when we were drilling, I was like, bro, you gotta like tone it down, Bredrin. But he's a fellow Yadman, so I, I I was like in one of those things like I you know I want the Jamaican guy to win, but I also know this guy from New York has helped out some of the guys from the gym. I want him to do good as well, and I'm just like I just at that point you just kind of hope for a good fight. Um, but I've actually trained with Ode, so that's a big win for Jamaica, nasty knockout, and uh, I think there's many more wins for Ode to come ever since he's been out in um, Vegas. So far, things have been looking up for him. Alonzo Manifield. Now, this guy, he fought nasty finish from Crucifix, smashing with some elbows. Brutal, brutal. He hit him with these football tackles, those double leg takedowns, and slammed homeboy on his ass. Beast. But Askar, I think Manifield knew if the fight stayed standing, he was going to get probably, I don't want to say, get, he, I don't want to, say he knew he was going to get put to sleep, but there's a good chance that he could have gotten knocked out because that guy was throwing some heaters at him. And I think that's why Manifield was like, you know what? You're really good on the feet. I can strike with you, but why? Why am I going to play that game when I can just take you down and give you no chance where I know you're going to be a fish out on land? And that's what he did. Football tackled him twice. He got up the first time, was able to escape um, with some work, and then came out firing, kind of like taunting him in. As he taunted him in, he got he threw something, caught him, took him down, slammed him down, trans uh, pass over, 
to the crucifix position, and from there, that was all she wrote. But those elbows that he landed were like, I was like, damn, bro. I cannot imagine, just imagine like a grape under your elbow and just smashing it. Like, that's that's how it looked. I was like, this looks vicious, bro. Manifield is no, like, he's not a small guy for the weight class. What, it's a, what's a 205? Yeah, he's not a small dude. So when he hits, there is some authority with those shots. Like, thuds. You can hear the canvas. And I was like, damn, man, this, this guy was moving. And after he got clapped a couple times there, just kind of like, just almost, I don't want to say lifeless, but it was just like... He just wasn't moving. It did not look. It did not look good. Um, and I think he might have protested something afterwards. But I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you're protesting. Like that was a legit stoppage, whatever. And uh, I think the the ref jumped in at the right time because that could have gotten really, really bad. And how old is this guy? You know, you get to stuck in a bad position like that. You go back. You do the work. You get better in those positions. Make sure that shit never happens again. And then you want to make sure you can live to fight another day. Because you don't want to take all your damage. I say we got a certain amount of dings, right? So you get rocked in the gym, ding. You get rocked in a fight, ding. Like, there's only so many of those that you can have in your career before. When you start getting hit, it's going to be like, dong. And your eyes are going to roll back in the back of your head. You're not going to recover the same. A jab might make you do the stanky leg. Um, those are the things you got to look out for, you know. So you want to save those. You don't want to use them all in a fight like this. Was like, dude, you're already on the losing end of it, and it's not gonna get much better. So the least, the the, the least, you want to get out of there with the least amount of damage as possible. I think that's the better way to put it. And he's only 27 years old, man. So he's got a lot of career left. So let's come back, heal up, correct those mistakes, not end up in that position again. Take down defense. How to escape crucifix or how to escape a guy from even passing into that side control and looking for like full guard or something as opposed to ending up there and then getting out and getting back to your feet so you could do what you do best, which is striking. Carolina Kowakaswick against Felice Herrick. This fight was fun. Barn burner right out of the gate. Both these females going after it. And Cal- um, I'm going to just call her KK. Came back from the depths of losing. Let me see. Oh, man, that's a lot of red. She lost to... So, oh, she beat Felice already. So she lost to... She came into the UFC, right? Let's find it. Let's find it. Let's find it. Invicta. Okay. KSW. Okay. UFC. She beat Ronda Marcos, Heather Clark, Rose Namajunas by split, fought Joanna Jacek for a UFC title. Lost. Then lost to Claudia Caldea, who also fought Joanna Jacek for a UFC title. Lost in the first round. Rear naked choke. Came back. Won two in a row. Um, Josie Escabel and Felice Herrig. Then she lost to Jessica Andrade, M- Michelle Watterson, Alexa Grasso, Zhao Nan Yan, Jessica Penne. So one, two, three, four. She lost five in a row. I think it's safe to say that her job was on the line. So she beat Felice Herrick by split. This time she comes back, she beats her by finish in the second round. And after the fight started picking up, Felice had her moments. She was looking good at certain spots with the striking, with the, with the grappling exchanges. But then KK was able to pull away and separate in that gap in that last final scramble transition, get on top. Managed to secure the, the position with the back control. Had one hook in. I thought she could have gotten the rear neck control a little bit earlier. But Felicia's a dog. Um, she got out of it. Survived. But then she ended it back up in a rear neck choke situation after being ground and pounded. And then gave it kind of... I don't say she gave it up. But it's like... I feel like when you get to a certain point in a fight with damage... 
it's like your brain finds a way or tells you to do something that you would not normally do. Let's say if you were just in BJJ class, you're not going to just lift your neck up and just get choked, right? But I think in a fight, you subconsciously start to do things where you don't even realize like your body is just kind of like doing it for you. Um, and I felt like she kind of almost lifted her neck up and gave that choke to KK. And again, after that type of damage, you don't really know where you are. And I'm not saying she did it intentionally. I'm saying sometimes you get hit with some big shots and you don't really know where you're at and you start to do things and it can look like you're doing this, but that's not the intention or that wasn't the case. And then she just ended up getting submitted. So really good fight. I thought it was a great showing for both females, but it was good to see KK get back in the win column. And uh, who knows, man, maybe she found a new reinvigorated fire. She's been training with Yuanja Jacek now. I do think it does get to a point where it's like, how much more do you want to fight at this point in your career after all the damage and stuff? Like, she's had some tough fights, man. She's 36 years old now. So it's like, do you really need to be doing this that much longer? But it really depends on the fire. I never would tell somebody when to retire, but it depends on how much damage you're taking and being honest with yourself and holding yourself accountable. Joe Selecki, fun fight with the Silva. I didn't know who was going to win this, but then I knew once the Silva lost, when he was kind of celebrating like he won, I was like, you look good in the third round, but I don't think you won the fight. You lost the point. Joe won the second round. The first round was closed, but then you lost the point. Um, well, the first round wasn't close. So the Silva won the first round, but then you lost the point. <laughs> and then you the third round you won, and then you can make the argument for that second round could have been like a 10 uh, a 10-8, maybe. So he won by majority decision. I wish it showed how he won. Let me see if it does tell us by decision, like the actual scorecard. Ba -ba -ba -ba. No, I'm not seeing it. Okay, so these are predictions. No, that's not what we want. Reach, gym. Boom, boom, boom. Nope, I do not sit. I do not sit. Do not sit. It is not there. Oh, what if I click this, though? Uh, no. Okay, that was wrong. Does not show. Uh, Damon Jackson, good fight with Daniel Argueta. Short notice fight for Argueta. Um, came out, fought as best as he could fight, being a small man coming up a weight class. Showed his inner dog. Uh, didn't quit. Found a way to get out of that back control body triangle situation. Um... Some people would say maybe P.D. Young could have tried to have done the same thing. But he couldn't. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, but yeah, so he, well, he was able to get out. And then when he did get out, he was able to do damage to Damon Jackson. And I think that is something that people need to pay attention to. When someone is dominating the control for the position, but then the other guy is landing the damage with the punches behind his back and then getting out and then doing as much damage as he possibly can, it makes the round tough to score in terms of damage versus control had the round went like that the entire time he, i think all day long damon jackson but then i came out especially that second round when he got out he, he landed some big shots which was the most significant and impactful moments of the fight but then the also impactful impactful moment of the fight was damon jackson being able to immobilize him for well over three minutes in the second round as well so then it just makes it a weird argument you know so it just depends on what you value more and i don't know because it's like it's so subjective we need to know what the judges think so we could get on the same page. So now that when we're in these situations, we can at least have an idea like, okay, he probably had X amount of time, but if I land X amount of shots and he doesn't hit me, I can probably steal this round. 
And that's what we need to have more clarity when scoring fights so that when we're in there, it makes it a little bit easier on the athletes um, to at least know for certain like what's going on or what's going through the judge's mind. So it's not like a completely unknown thing when we get to the scorecards, if that makes sense. Um, Gravely looked really good against Munoz. Nasty knockout. Caught him with an uppercut. Timed it perfectly on the shot. And that's the game we played. Actually, I got a clip where I was discussing this with Matt Favola in terms of what, what the similarities are with wrestling and MMA in terms of setting up the shots with the hands and with the strikes. What is the same philosophy, the same principles? And exactly what I was telling Matt, what you have to intercept with is exactly what Tony Gravely did, caught him. And actually, Gravely actually fought Marab on the regional circuit. And Marab actually beat him way back when. Let me see when that was. So that was 2016, November, November 18th, 2016. So he lost to Ricky Bendejas. He lost to Marab. He lost to Pat Sabantini. <clears throat> Damn, this guy for some good people. He lost to Manny Bermudez, also in the UFC. He lost to Patchy Mix. Guillotine round one. He beat Chris Moutinho, who Sean O'Malley beat. He lost to Brett Johns, Rene Gachoke in the third round. I watched that fight, and he lost to Nate Maness after, like, Rock and Sock and Robots. That fight was insane. So now he's on a two-fight win streak, and he's been looking really good of late. That was a nasty, nasty knockout, man. Uh, he knocked out Anthony Burchard, lost to Nate Maness. Yeah, so good for Gravely, man. Putting him together, coming into his own, and showing how deep this bantamweight division really, really is. Um, this guy, Renat Fakretdinov. He fought Micheletis, big win, a lot of back and forth scrambling, but when he got on top, he was able to do the majority of the damage, really, really solidifying who he was and why he's so dominant. And I think that's what made it so good for him, beating Eric Spicely, being Micheletis, um, UAE. Oh, he's the one who knocked out Eric Spicely recently. Wow. I remember seeing that highlight. That shit was crazy, my boy. My boy. 30 years old from Moscow, Russia. And then the last one, Aaron Blanchfield gets a finish, standing guillotine in the second round against the cage. She knocks over J.J. Aldrich, knocks her off balance as I think J.J. was throwing a kick, kind of like intercepted it, pushed her over. She fell on her butt. She tried to get up. As she tries to get up, Aaron jumps, almost jumps over her, but manages to re readjust, settle in, grabs the neck. And I want to go over the sequence as well. Grabs her neck, puts her in a choke, and then when she puts her in the guillotine, she doesn't defend the hands. Always, always be defending. You know, always be closing, ABC, always be closing. It's kind of like real estate. Always be defending. Always be defending. ABD, my dog, always be defending. When someone grabs your neck, always be defending. When someone grabs your leg, always be defending. When someone grabs your arm, always be defending. <laughs> So, always be defending. That is the model of that situation. You defend the choke. You fight the hands. Always be defending. She did not do that. Aaron was able to lock her hands. She cinched in that right arm a little bit deeper. Once she got the left hand to connect, she grabbed the glove, over the glove, and she went over high elbow guillotine. Now, in this position, you take the elbow. You put it over the shoulder. She was on her toes against the cage. Um, Aldrich had nowhere to go to back up or roll standing against the cage locked in she couldn't get the right arm over to pull the elbow down or to grab Aaron's head to create space on the neck so Aaron was able to get all the leverage she needed to just hang her 
picking her up by her toes, driving her into the cage, nowhere to go, and just cuts the carotid artery a couple of seconds. Not even the carotid, the, the trachea. That is actually a painful choke because the bone of your wrist is under the neck and it's cranking while you're off your toes and you're literally being hung by gravity. Painful, painful, painful. Blanfield is a beast. Now, I will say she needs to clean up the striking if she wants to fight with the best of them at that weight class because Aldridge was looking really good and slick, landing some really good strikes. But all in all, she was able to get it done. She's only 23 years old, and I think that says a lot for a girl like that to come in and to fight a veteran like Aldridge, who's 29, and she's had so many fights in the UFC. She's been in the UFC since, wow, she's got well over 10 UFC fights since 2016, my dude. She called her out. And for her to come back, come out, and only being tuned on the UFC, one, two, yes, tuned on the UFC, and to beat a girl like Aldridge, that puts her in a really good spot, and not just winning, getting a finish. That's a statement win right there. So we'll see what happens with the next outing for her. She already got her eye on Macy Barber versus Jessica I for the winner of that one, so that should be good. Um, we'll see what happens. But outside of that, we're going to wrap this one. I'll see you guys later. Thank you guys for always tuning in. We're going to have another fun episode for you guys coming soon. If you like my shit, subscribe to my shit. Or spin it back, fish, baby. I'll see you guys later. Peace. Bing, 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 bing. Pew. That would have been a lot.